Sometimes we have issues in the in-law setting, and that's where those jokes come from. And uh, before I actually had married Pam, I was a freshman in college. I'm getting ready, actually, I'm almost sophomore now, to, to go into the ministry. And uh, her dad was not happy about it. He wasn't happy she was attending Crossroads. He wasn't happy about her being so sold out for Christ. It just bothered him. And he and I got into it quite a bit. I mean, we had some real like moments, but this became one that I'll never forget because what happened is he began to talk and then I began to answer back, not with a lot of wisdom, and then it began to escalate. And as it escalated, I didn't back off. I mean, I am just sharing Christ with him. Now, at this point, he doesn't want to hear it, but I've decided I don't care. And I am just going to share and I'm going to share and we're yelling. He's yelling at me. I'm yelling back at him. You need Jesus and you need to be born again. And, and you know, it's like he's sharing, yelling back at me. And I said, don't you know that Jesus died for your sins? And that I decided to name some of them. I did. That didn't help. It got madder and louder and, and we're going at it. And, and I mean, we are so at this tension time. And he is pulsating and upset. <coughs> and I'm mad and upset. And then all of a sudden he said it. He said, I want to tell you something. I'll, and I'll never forget the moment. because nobody who's anybody would be a born-again Christian. And I looked at him and said, dick butt kisses. Now, you may not mean a lot to you, but my father-in-law was from Chicago. And if you're from Chicago, the Bears, right? And if you think of the Bears, who do you think of? Butkus. I mean, it's almost a religion. And, and so and you got to know what happened. I said, butt kisses. And he stopped he didn't know what to say. I am not kidding. He was silent. He just sat there, uh, uh, and I looked at him, and I was so excited, and I was praying, God, I hope that Dick Butkus is a Christian. <laughs> I didn't know. I just, I don't know where it came from. I walk out of the room thinking, I hope God, I pray, you know, and, uh, you know, if he's not, save him quick, and, uh, you know. Uh, it just wasn't the right way to do it. We're talking about uh, level four love and, and allowing God to use us to really impact people, to, to be used by God in moments to help people take steps towards him or embrace him. And, and, and I want to tell you, it's the most exciting thing you and I could ever do. There's nothing better. There's a right way and a wrong way. And uh, I got to be honest with you, yelling at your father-in-law and screaming and naming his sins is not the right way. But the truth of the matter is, is when we allow God to move and we put ourselves in his hand, it can be scary. And we called it last week, moving in from the circle of comfort to the zone of the unknown. And when you step into that, you're not in control and eternal things are about to happen. And I don't know about you, but every single time I'm in that moment, even today, man, all of a sudden my heart's beating faster and I'm praying for the right words and I'm praying when to stop and, and it just becomes incredible. But when God moves and touches it just, you stand back and go, wow, Lord. Well, I'm going to show you a right one. What happened is uh, uh, the renowned atheist, I mean, this guy's one of the most famous atheists in all the world, Penn, the magician Penn of Penn and Teller in Vegas. Uh, I, I mean, he puts money into atheism. He espouses his cause. He speaks out against about it constantly. He's entered debates to debate Christianity. He's tried to disprove the miracles of Jesus. I mean, this guy is as atheist as you come. Uh, he had done a particular magic show, and when it was over, he's greeting some of the audience, and a guy who was in the show the night before, an audience member he had brought up onto the stage to be in a trick, is standing there. And the guy stood out because he was big, but, but he was also a pretty together guy, and he waited in line, and he was very nice, and he gets up to him, and he said, I want to tell you, I really appreciate you. 
I mean, I like your show. I like the way you talk. Uh, I, I just want you to know that. And I was so moved, I decided I wanted to give you something. And I don't know if you'll want it. But I need to tell you, I'm not insane. I'm a businessman. And uh, it's just what I believe. And he handed him a Bible. Now, now, here's what you got to grab. It really got to him. I want to show you a video in a moment, but it got to him so much that this atheist went away and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And finally, he did a video blog about it because he has a video blog. And I want you to catch his reaction to a man genuinely, lovingly, caringly offering a, a, a person he knew was an atheist a chance to read scripture. Uh, watch what it says. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. What'd you think? Now, I don't know about you, but man, I mean, that just starts a lot of thoughts to go in my mind. And, and I think they're really good ones. First of all, you see that he genuinely believed this guy was motivated by something that we would call love, that it was sincere, that he genuinely cared about him, and we talked about last week that we've got to be motivated by love. Uh, it seems like something else was going on, and I really think the Holy Spirit was working. But, but the line that you can't miss is how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? I mean, and, and he says it's the most important thing ever. Now, we believe the message. He doesn't even believe it. We believe it. We ought to know with all our heart there's nothing more important than this. And, and I want to say something real quick. We're not going to develop it out. 
But I don't want you to miss it. And that is this. I know that there's a, a thought process that some have, and it's this. Well, if I don't tell them, someone else will. And I want to tell you, that's not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the opposite is there. Twice in the book of Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel, I have appointed you as a watchman. And if you cry out to this people and they turn, then you'll be used by me. But if you do not cry out and they do not turn, their blood is on your hands. Do you know what God said twice to Ezekiel? I'm not sending anybody else. You're it. And you know what I want you to know? Please don't miss this. You're, you're, you may be it. You may be the only one. And this idea that we're going to leave it up to someone else isn't in Scripture. Jesus said, go and share. Go and love. Go and care. And we talk about level four. That's what we're talking about. You know, level one's exploring this idea of who God is. And if you're here today exploring it, you're going to hear a lot about why we want to have our people help you move forward in it. Level two is when you finally hit that place, you say yes to God and you embrace him and, and conversion takes place and you go into this life with God. Level three, you connect with him deeply. And then level four, you're all out for God. And when you're all out for God, it means you love him with everything you have. And God tells us over and over in his word, if you love me with everything you have, you need to love others. And we love them so much, we would want to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Uh, United Flight 232 took off on a normal day. It just seemed like it was going to be a normal flight. But when it got over England, something went tragically wrong. And the plane got into trouble. The, st the, the stewards and stewardesses barely could attach themselves uh, to their seatbelts before now this plane's going down and the oxygen's shopping and people are screaming. And it's one of those moments they know they're not going to escape from. And it hits hard in a field and starts tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. And, and, and incredible damage done to the plane. People jostled like crazy fire breaks out and the cabin is being filled with smoke Jerry Schimmel was on that flight he literally was hanging upside down with everybody else who didn't come loose and, and so here he is with the smoke filling and hearing other people cry and scream. He unbuckles his belt and drops to the bottom, which actually is the top of the cabin. And he's laying there cut, bruised, and he jumps up. And then the smoke is so horrific he has to get back down on his hands and knees. As he's crawling along, hoping for an opening, he stops and helps a couple other people to get loose and gets them. And now they're all finding their way out. And they can't make it to the door. But what there is is there's a hole. There's a hole gashed in the metal. And, and it's not huge, but it's big enough to get through. And so he helps some people, and they start to get through it. And it's finally his turn. And as he's going through, just like the others, he's being cut by this. It's tearing at him. But man, getting out is all that matters. And he gets out, and he drops on the ground, and it's sunny outside. And he looks around expecting any minute, not just more fire, but an explosion. And he starts to run. Just as he's starting to run, he hears it. The sound of a baby crying. And it's back inside the plane. And uh, without even thinking about it, something just drove him. He turned and he leaped up and grabbed hold of that metal, cutting his hand, plunged himself back in, cutting himself up, landing hard again into the cabin. And now he can't see. It's more smoky than ever. And he's listening for the sound of the baby and hears it and crawls. And underneath all this debris, he pulls it aside. And here lays an 11-month-old little girl, Sabrina Mickelson. And he grabs her into his arms. Later they find out she only had minor bruises, amazingly. And he carries her and he fights his way out of the cabin, cutting himself worse now because he's doing it with one hand, protecting her. And when he gets out and hits the ground and runs... Man, people are flocking around him. Her parents were out there. They thought they had lost her. Abraham Maslow, 
says the highest instinct you and I have is for survival. That, that nothing inside you compels you to do what you do more than the need to survive. But I want to ask you, what is it then that caused this man, Jerry Schimmel, to go back into that plane? You know, Jesus said what it was, greater love has no one than this, than you would lay down your life for a friend. Somehow, love drove him. Need drove him. Even to the point of willing to lose his life. Now, you, hear, you can't miss where I'm going. I'm saying, you and I, we move through life being driven with a compulsion to go out and love people. And nothing's more important, nothing's more important than where they'll spend eternity. Nothing's more important than them coming to know God. And, you know, if we say, well, you know, I get a little uncomfortable. Oh, man, diving back into a smoke-filled plane's uncomfortable. But that's what heroes do. And God wants you to be willing to step out of a circle of comfort and go into what we call the zone of the unknown and be willing to be used by him. And we said last week the way it happens is you need to be moved by the Spirit. And we're going to get into that more today. You need to be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You need to be motivated by love and you need to believe the message. Now today I'm going to give you three practical things to do when it starts to happen and how to help it happen. This thing we call sharing our faith, being a part of the cause. But before we get there, let me share this with you. If I were to ask you, what is the highest value? What is the, the great pursuit in our sharing? If you were to say, well, it's the person gets saved. That they say yes to God. I want to tell you, well, that would just be awesome. That is not the highest pursuit or value. The highest pursuit or value is that you and I are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That we listen to what he says. That we do what he wants us to do. And so we allow him to give us that compulsion that drives us on. And by the way, Jesus had that. Look at John chapter 4. And notice what happens here. And we're going to use Jesus as a case study and a passage out of Colossians to guide us. And then I'm going to give you a modern day case study too. In chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making... And baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now I want you to stop there. He had to. I mentioned this last week. I want to dig into it more. The word had, again, is a small word in the Greek, too. And it's in a tense that means he, was, he had a compulsion. Uh, something was in, it literally prodding him forward. Something was pushing him. Uh, and, and he could not stop it from happening. Something was incredibly and so important. He had to pass through Samaria. If you were reading this back in that time with that cultural mindset in that particular setting, that would have shocked you. Because nobody went through Samaria. They did everything they could not to go. The Jewish people of that day believed that if they actually were in the presence of a Samaritan and happened to touch them, they had to go through seven days of cleansing. They believed it was the worst thing you could do to get around each other. It was considered dangerous to be there. So they, they actually, at great expense, built a road to make sure they didn't have to go that way. But Jesus said he had to go that way. I have to go there. It was the same kind of compulsion that drove Jerry Schummel into a plane. The same kind of compulsion that drove a man to go and, and hand a Bible to Penn. By the way, it was the same kind of compulsion for me to scream at my father-in-law, although not wisdom. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and he had that. Now look what on, it goes on to say. This is interesting to me. Verse 5. So he came to Samaria, city, uh, uh, Samaritan city called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. 
Now, don't miss this next line. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. He was wearied. See, he was so compelled to go. It was so huge to him to be there that he drove him himself and the apostles so that they were physically worn out so they could be there at noon and at a place that no one would come out to at noon in the heat of the day. And he gets there because he had to be there. Now, why did he have to be there? Because there's one particular woman who needs his love. She's been hurt. She's been betrayed. And he needs to be in her presence. Now, now, point number one, ready? You, you and I, if we're going to be effective in being used by God, we've got to get into the presence of people who need us and, and need God. We've got to want purpose, very intentionally, put ourselves in a position, a place where we are around people. Now, I know that this happens a lot. Statistics tell us this. The longer someone's a follower of Christ, the less friends they have who are not. And you know what that means more intentionally than ever. You and I need to make times and places where we can go and be around people who, who don't agree with us and, and who we love and we care for and we value. And, and so you and I need to be intentional about that. The whole idea is God says, I want you to be one who, who literally emanates the message of who I am by how you live and how you love and what you say. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Did you get that? God's will is that you and I go to every place possible, manifesting the aroma of who he is, manifesting the knowledge of who he is. Sometimes by living it, lots of times by sharing about it. But we need to be intentional about getting in places like that. In every single place. Verse 15. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma of life to life. Now notice this next. And who is adequate for these things? Now I want to tell you, if you're really cluing in with me, that there's some of you here who are going, I just don't know about this. I don't know if I know enough. Who's adequate to do this? And I want to tell you something else. I, I don't feel adequate to do it. Man, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor a long time. But you need to know, when I'm sitting in that moment, man, my heart is beating. And I'm going, oh my gosh, Lord, what's about to happen? And I'm praying like crazy. And I don't want to make a misstep. And I don't want to say too little. And I don't want to say too much. And that might sound like, for some of you going, good, so none of us should do it. And no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know what, who's adequate to do it? If you act like, well, hey, there are people around here who they just got it together. The truth is, everybody needs the Holy Spirit. There isn't one of us in here who can do this on our own. And so, whether you know a little or a lot, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're adequate. You might say, well, I don't know enough. The Holy Spirit knows enough. You might say, you know what, I'm not, I, I, I haven't been around a long time. The Holy Spirit's been around a long time. And if it's you and God and the Holy Spirit empowering, then you will be adequate for it. it. On your own, you're not. And notice what he even ends this with. He says this, for we are not like many peddling the word of God. We're not just trying to sell something. And that's, if you're brand new here and you're saying, man, you guys are like this proselytizing thing. Man, you're just salesmen. No, we're not. Even Penn got it. It's not that we're trying to sell anything. It's that we're trying to save people. We care. We care about you. We care about people just period and we look at everybody and say they matter Jesus died for them they're, they're more than valuable and uh, 
we're not trying to sell something, but out of sincerity, out of sincerity, he says, but as from God, we speak Christ in the sight of God. You and I are supposed to be speaking Christ in the sight of God. We're supposed to go out and share. Jesus said, you and I are the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And he says, but what if the salt doesn't have saltiness? How can it be made salty again? And when you light a lamp, you don't put a, a covering on it. He says, no, you light a lamp to light light. And he says, then this, here's what you and I are to do. So let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. Now to make that happen, you and I have got to go into settings and have an opportunity to allow God to use us so we can be around people who need this. Now, we're not pretending we're better than anybody else because we know we're not. We just know the Lord. And in knowing him and loving him and living with him, we want to be in situations where we can be used by God to, to touch people. We go from our place of comfort to the zone of the unknown and we say, God, here I am, use me. God, here I am, open the door. And now, now here's where it gets really, really huge. We need to ask God to open the door and give us wisdom in what we share and what we do not share. Uh, if you're in Colossians with me, look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Notice Paul's prayer. He says in verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Now what does he want us to pray for? Ready? That God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been a prison. Now we're going to read on, so don't lose that spot. Did you see what he said? He said, I want you to pray that God will open a door. I want you to pray uh, that God will open a door so we can talk about Jesus and the mystery of who he is. And you and I need to be praying that constantly. You know, everywhere you go, you're sitting at lunch afterwards today and, and, and the per server's coming up to your table and you're saying, Lord, is this someone I should bless or encourage or share with? God has so opened the door. You know, you're standing in the waiting room area, you know, of the hospital, and everyone's kind of into themselves, and you go, Lord, you know what, it just doesn't seem like the time, but God, if you want to use me right here, here I am. And, and you know, I want to tell you, get ready. See, the normal is, normally you and I go to the doctor, and we sit there, and everybody does everything they can not to make eye contact, because we're afraid of what you got. <laughs> but you pray that prayer, all of a sudden people are coming. And uh, uh, it's like, Wow. The other night I was in a situation where I was talking to a particular guy who I really need to see come back to Christ and, and his girlfriend doesn't know the Lord. And so I thought, okay, you know, I don't want to treat her as the enemy, uh, but, but, you know, we're in this situation. So I'm praying, God, give me words, give me all of a sudden the words come. And, and she looked at me and I'll never forget this moment because she had been kind of standoff, but, but then the right, right issue came up and I just looked at her and started asking about it. And we'll talk about that in a second. And I am not kidding. She went from standing over here to all of a sudden going, oh, and touching me. And I told Pam, I said, it was weird. She's like, touching me. Like, I was like, okay, you know. And, uh, but, but she was so intent and it was a little loud and she wanted to hear so bad. And I thought, wow, this is one of those moments, God, you're just taking over. And, uh, and we need to be in that moment and asking God constantly, uh, 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 do I need to share anything? And God, would you open the door so I could speak? Now notice what he goes on to say here in verse 4. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, now the key is God here. It, being moved by the Spirit, discerning the Spirit, letting God give you the words and, he's, and, and say them clearly. Now next week I'm going to try to help it be clearer. Some things you can say to be clear. But people are unique and situations are unique. The thing you're praying for, God, is I don't want to misstep here. 
I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go too short on this. But I want to be clear. I don't want someone to miss it. And then he said this. Verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. Now that's loaded. Did you hear what he said? He said, I want you to pray that we would have wisdom. And we need to pray we have wisdom. And how we respond to anybody who doesn't know. What we say. Now we're always truthful. We're always truthful. We don't hide anything. But we have to say it in a way that doesn't create barriers. That doesn't push people away. Uh, uh, and, and you know, uh, screaming at my father-in-law his particular sins was not the way to use wisdom in that moment. And, and, and you know what? We need to ask God for wisdom. And then we know need to know how to respond to each person individually. He says, give God, ask God to do that for you. And you and I need to do it. Now let me give you a modern day case study. Uh, Bill Hybels is the pastor of uh, Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. One of the largest churches in the United States. And, and Bill was in the, the city of Chicago, the inner city area, uh, doing in the circle a series of conferences for people. And then when he got done, it was kind of late in the day and the traffic would be incredible. And so he called his wife, Lynn, and he said, Lynn, look, I, I'm not going to fight the traffic. I have some work to do anyway. I'm just going to go to a restaurant. I heard a, a kind of about a good one. And I'm going to go over there, sit down, have dinner, work on my stuff, and then I'll be home after traffic's over. Better use of my time. She said, Okay. So he had heard about this restaurant. He had even prayed, God, is that a good place for me to go? And he goes walking into the restaurant, and it is packed, even though it's early. I mean, the restaurant, every table's filled, the lounge area is filled, and he's standing there thinking, should I stay? I don't know. And he actually said, Lord, you know, should I stay? And then he looked over at people getting ready to check in, and he saw this, this young, attractive couple standing there, and he looked at them, and they looked at him, and they made eye contact, so he smiled and said hi. And the woman is particularly smiled back and said hi. And then he thought, God, is this a moment? I, I don't know. And so he looked at him and said, hey, uh, uh, I have never eaten here before. And I don't know if it'd be a good idea to wait for a table or sit in the lounge or skip it all together. What do you think? And sh she answers back, well, we're not even from Chicago. Uh, we just flew in and we were wondering the same thing. And we'd just been in a series of meetings and we have stuff to do. And we didn't know whether we should wait. And we were going to ask you. And then he said, well, where'd you come from? And they tell where they came from. And, and, and they're in this kind of uh, same industry and talking. And then he said, really? And she goes, how long are you in town? And, and they began to share about how long they're in town. And then they asked him, what's some good things to do while we're here? And he said, oh. And he started listing off, like, you should eat here. And you should go see this. And he's going on and on and on. And, and, and then he said, when I went to where you were, I went here. And they go, oh, we love that. And they're just off and talking and sharing and, and just really digging in. Well, well, in the midst of it all, uh, the woman looks at him and says, you know what? You seem like a very happy person. And he thought, okay, Lord, you're about to open the door. <laughs> I mean, if you're a very happy person, then don't you think the next question's why? And he's like, oh, God, here it comes. I, I'm, I, this is one of those moments. I'm so excited. Well, the guy of the group says, hey, why don't I grab us some drinks and we can keep talking. And so he knew this was an open door. So the guy runs and grabs drinks and comes back. And he says, I am a very happy person. And he begins to kind of list some reasons why, trying to lay the bridge, uh, trying to develop some, some talking points with them. And, and so he's going on and on. And he could just see them listening. And they actually were, were, were pretty intrigued by it. And then he stops and he said, well, I want to ask you a question. How does your happiness meter read? I mean, are you like a 9 or a 10 or 
And they both got real somber. And they said, no, nah, we're not even up past two right now. And uh, they said, you know what, this meetings we're in, it's talking about laying people off that we really care about. And I don't know how much longer our industry is even going to be around and the shape it's in today in this economy and it hurts and we're about to go unload news on people we don't want to tell. And, and he said in that moment, he thought, God, these people are caring people. Man, I, I just pray you're going to use me. And uh, so he said, well, I, you know, I don't want to be a downer here. I'm sorry. And, and they said, well, it's okay. And he goes, well, are you guys kind of out on a date night? And, and they kind of looked at each other and just started laughing. And he thought, well, doesn't seem that funny. And uh, then he looked again and he said, well, I, I'm sorry. You know, I don't want to interrupt you. And they go, no, 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 we're okay. And the woman says, we're not married. And he thought, oh, oh. And uh, she goes, actually, we're really good friends. And he said, oh, okay. And then she looked at him and said, um, actually, we're gay. And he said, oh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he's now praying, okay, God, this is different, 911. God, 911, um, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to look like I'm freaked out. I'm looking at him like I'm okay, and uh, I'm about to die, and God, help me, help me, help me. And he's just crying out, you know, smiling, and Lord, what do I do here? And then here's the words that came. Well, if you want to talk about that, I'm going to buy the next round of drinks. And they go, okay. And a table opens up in the lounge, and the drinks come, and they sit down. And, and, and he says, so what's going on about this? And she opens up first. And she said, you know what? I, I got to be honest. It's not easy. That's part of why I'm hurting. It seems like when people know what I've chosen to do with my life, they want nothing to do with me. I, and to be honest, I don't have any really, really good friends except him. And um, it hurts. And I think right now, you know, I'm not going to say I'm happy. I'd have to say I'm lonely. And then the guy, the guy looks at him and says, me too. And he said, I, I want you to know something. My dad is a very religious man. And he won't talk to me. But he writes me a note at least once a week and tells me I'm going to hell. And he tells me I'm an abomination. And he tells me he could never be more disappointed than me he is. He said, I just got a note recently that said, you know what, you need to know you're going to hell in a handbasket. And Heibel said, now he's really praying, God, this is too big. I can't mess this up. God, you got to help me here. And he's looking at this guy who's hurting. And then the next words out of the guy's mouth is, I have to tell you, I don't think a day goes by that doesn't eat at me. So Bill Hybels looked at him and said, I want to tell you, I'm a, I'm a pretty religious guy. And uh, I want you to know the God I know and the Bible I read and the teachers I have, they tell me about a God who has an outrageous love for people. That he couldn't love you more than he does and he would go to any extent he could to reach out and grab you in love. And, 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 and I gotta tell you, if I were to choose two words to describe my relationship with God, it would be grace and power. Because I don't have it together and I mess up a lot even after I came to know the Lord through Jesus and, and, and I need that grace, I need it. And I need power because I can't always do what God wants me to do. But if I let him, he empowers me to do it. And so I walk around living my life with two words about God, grace and power. And the guy looked at him and said, well, if I had to choose two words for God, it'd be judgment and hell. Judgment and hell. And Bill Hybels looked at him and said, well, why don't you trade out judgment and help for grace and power? And the guy goes, you could do that? He said, that's the whole message, man. 
That's what God would want for you. And he goes, you can. And he goes, yeah, you can. And, and God's grace wants to be there for you. And he wants to give you the power to be who he wants you to be. And just at that moment, a, a man walked up and said, hey, we have a table ready for you in the dining room. And uh, the woman said, I've got to get back to my emails. This has taken longer than I thought. The guy said, me too. And Bill Heibel said, well, I, I really need to hit the road. And they got up and they're walking to the door. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just kind of the corner of his eye, he sees the woman coming at him. And she throws her arms around him and hugs him super tight and said, I want you to know that tonight has been extraordinary. And the guy walked up and said, Bill, grace and power. I'm going to think a lot about that and check that out. And they walked out. Now, I want to have you think about what happened and what didn't happen. Notice they didn't fall on their faces going, yes, forgive me. And, you know, and him, you know that didn't happen. He didn't take them into the bathroom and baptize. You know, I, that didn't occur. <laughs> he just let God use them up to the point where it was time to stop. He used wisdom. He was honest and used wisdom. And, and I think if you kind of catch where it happened here, he was incredibly kind. And by the way, in Proverbs 3, verse 3 is a passage I never let go of. It says that, that we are to bind kindness and truth around our neck and write it on the tablet of our heart. Never let it leave us or forsake us. Always kind and always truthful. Always bold. And, and, and when we're going to be effective and be used by the Spirit, we have to apply that kind of wisdom. Now, now look at how Jesus does it. I don't want you to miss this. In John chapter 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And notice why. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, now remember Jesus had to be here for this lady. And, and he starts out by crossing a gender divide. In that day and time, men and women did not talk in public. More so, a rabbi was not to even be addressed or speak to a woman. And what is Jesus doing? He's already crossing a gender barrier and kind of a religion barrier at this moment to reach out to a woman who has an amazing need. What is he doing? He's developing a relationship. He's giving her a platform to talk with him from. He's building a bridge. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to look for opportunities to do that. Things like, where are you from? And, and, and you just listen. Uh, uh, and by the way, here's the key. We need to really listen. And so uh, I wrote about it in a blog recently, but it's really true. Whenever I've gotten around high-level leaders, they always ask questions. I, and they want to know. They genuinely want to know. A friend of mine is the leader of a company that's soaring in this economy. They're, they're, they went from number nine to number four in their area of, of industry. Um, they're growing. They're hiring. It's just this amazing company. And he's the CEO of the company. This guy's a leader. And he's on fire for the Lord. And he's on a big time leader. And, and I've noticed he always asks questions. Uh, the other day, he and I are out, and we're kind of where this valet parking guy is, and he walks up to the guy, and he said, say, hey, how you doing? And the guy said, great. And he goes, do you like your job? And the guy said, well, not really. I'm kind of working my way through college. What do you want to be? And the guy tells him what he wants to be, and then my friend looks at him, and what is your greatest dream? And he's like, uh, uh, and now he's pouring it out. And my friend, he's listening to every word this young college guy's saying, and then he gets done, and he looks at him, and he says, I got to ask you a question. Do you really think that if you put yourself in the hands of God, that, that he would help you fulfill that dream? And he goes, um, yeah, I guess. He goes, do you know who this guy is? And he points at me. 
he's the pastor of a church called Crossroads, and I think you ought to go, and, and he's an amazing preacher. Chuck, give him a card. I go, I don't have a card. He goes, Chuck. You know, and uh, <laughs> he just asked questions, and this guy couldn't wait to talk about it. Now, I know it's got to be the right place and right time, but I want to give you a quick secret. People like talking about themselves. I mean, they really do. And, and a leader, though, a, a loving person, uh, we want to hear them. We want to open the door, and we want to give them a chance to talk, and we want to hear their story, and as you do that, opportunities come, and what you do is you're praying, God, give me something here. Just open the door for me. Pam and I one night, and we're in New York City, and we went to, we prayed, Lord, where do you want us to go to dinner? And Carnegie Deli, and uh, so we show up at Carnegie Deli, and if you've never gone there, they just shove you at a table. You don't eat alone at Carnegie Deli, and so we walked in, and they said, how many? I said, two, and they said, all right, sit with that lady right there. So we go over and we slide in and sit down and I said, hi, how you doing? And she, this young, young, uh, uh, very attractive kind of businesswoman looks at me. She said, great. I said, what brings you to New York City? I'm here on business. And I said, honestly, I got to say you don't seem excited. She said, I just got married a month ago. I don't want to be away from my husband. And I'm like, really? And I said, oh my goodness. I mean, how did you meet? And she's telling me how they met. Do you think that was hard to ask? And then I, I, I said, well, tell me about your life. And, and I said, you know what? We've been married a long time, like 50 years, which, by the way, isn't true. That means I would have married Pam when she's two, and that's sick. And, uh, but anyway, so I threw out some number. It was probably the right one, but Pam didn't correct me. And, uh, and I said, you know, I got to say, and I got a lot of things in life that aren't going good, but I think my marriage is incredible, and Pam's agreeing. And I said, you want to know some secrets of happy marriage? And she wants to know. Well, how hard was that? I mean, it's really not that hard, and we had a blast. Now, you know, I got to talk with her. I got to encourage her to find a great church to go to. I said, no, I'm not kidding. And you know, I don't know if she did. I didn't ask her to pray, give her life to Christ in that moment. I don't think it was the time. But you know what? We had a blast, and when we were done, she's so thanking us, and, 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 and I'm just loving every moment of it. And, and it's not that hard. You just ask questions of people. And if, if, if the door opens, you just say, God, it opened. I want to take a step. And Jesus said, give me a drink. And she's like, how could you do that? And his answer is going to become, you know what? You matter more than you know. And you matter more. And he really cared. Now notice what it goes on here. And it says this in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give in him will become a well of water springing up to everlasting life. He says, you don't even know how incredible life could be for you. And she's going, well, then how do I find that? And I mean, he's engaging her. And he's going to a point of need. You see, this well, she goes to at noon. Nobody goes to at noon. They either go in the morning or at night. And the fact she's there at noon means nobody wants to be around her. And she's gotten the message. And Jesus wanted to be around her. And he wanted to talk with her. And he wanted to, to embrace her in this conversation. And, and she's shocked by it and amazed by it and now caught up in it. And, and then notice what happens next. It says in verse 13, Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come this way to draw. And then Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said correctly, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And this you have said truly. 
And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Which, anyway, that's funny. Um, <laughs> did you catch the, the, what happened? I, I, don't, I don't want you to miss something. I know we're running out of time. But let me, this is too important. You need to see what happened and what did not happen. Now remember, in this day and time, if you're living with someone who's not your husband, it's death. How much time did Jesus spend on that? You adulteress. You sinful woman. You dis... How much time did he spend on it? Did you catch none? Did you notice he didn't pick up a rock said, it's not your day? Uh, <laughs> let he who is without sin throw the first stone. Sorry, I don't have any. You better run. Uh, I mean... Did you notice that didn't happen? Well, wait a minute. Jesus, why not? By the way, Bill Hybels, why didn't you all of a sudden, oh, we have a disagreement over this. Now, we need to dig into this first. Why did he not do that? It's not that we want to duck issues. We want to only go to the most important issue. By the way, did you notice what Jesus did center on? You just spoke the truth. He didn't tear her down. He didn't attack her. And, and, and then notice what he's about to do. This, this part gets me. It may not get you, but it gets me. She says in verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that it is in Jerusalem is the place that men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, now don't miss this line, will you worship the Father? He said to her flat out, you are going to be one who knows the Father. You are gonna be a chosen one. You are gonna be loved. He didn't center on what she was. He centered on what she could be. He didn't center on the sin she made. He centered on the forgiveness and the cleansing and the adoption. See, he grabbed this. And, and here's the good news. Most of us in here, there, there might be a few of you who don't follow this camp. Most of us in here, we don't want to go out condemning people. Here's the good news. You're not supposed to. I know some of you are going, oh, no, I like it. But you're really not supposed to. What are we talking about? We're talking about uh, uh, building a bridge with somebody, starting a relationship, and, and then we're talking about developing that relationship through digging into their life and discovering their story. And, and our hope is to do this. We want to know where they are on their continuum of glowing close to God, and we're going to call it hitting that level four moment where they're all out for God. And, and, and our dream and desire is to have God use us to help people get there. And so this is, you know, that, one, that area level two where they finally convert. And then three is where you connect to God. But the, the other side of the coin is we have people over here who are what we call the one. They're exploring and they're just kind of wondering and they're asking the questions. And, and yet a lot of people are over here. They're kind of a negative two or a negative three or a negative four. And, and what happens is these people probably don't want to hear a lot about it. And they're kind of like a pin. Because I'm an atheist. And a guy gives him a Bible, and he probably moves to three, maybe two, going, wow, that guy made a lot of sense. I don't agree with him necessarily, but you know, he, why don't more Christians, I mean, did you catch how there's a movement going on? And Jesus took this woman who's in such pain, she's got to be a negative four, and he starts moving her to three, two, one, until she finally comes to faith. By the way, it's amazing. The first person he would ever tell he's the Messiah is her, because she needed it. She said, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things that, that we do not know. And he looks and says, I who speak to you am he. And she embraces that and she crosses over. And, and by the way, I think she went level four super fast. She runs to the village and tells everybody and people can't believe it and they show up. And, and it's amazing. 
And you and I need to actually pray that, Lord, here I am. I'm talking to this young guy or young girl or this neighbor or my mom or my dad. Where are they at right now? God, where are they at? And I'm not trying to judge them. I want to know how to help them get to the next place. And, and, and I want to be used by you that way. And I want to be quiet when I should be quiet. And so what do we do? Well, you know what? We, we, you know, we, we start by developing the relationship. And then we want to discover their story. We ask them questions. And then, then we discern the next step. And the next step is Holy Spirit driven. And you and I don't always know what that's going to be. And you just trust God. Sometimes the next step is just stop. And, and by the way, that's an easy thing to do. Sometimes it's like, no, share an invitation to church. Or, or no, it goes, hey, why don't we talk about this more together? Or, or maybe it's time, and I'll show next week, to actually share a, a message, a clear message of how to make the decision. But we want to do that with people. We really want to do it with them. Um, I told you before that, that I, uh, I just really try to listen to what God wants me to do. And one time, and I don't think, I, I might have shared it this service last week, but I shared it real quick. Uh, but... What happened, I was out golfing, and I, I got put with three men I didn't know. And so I'm, I'm enjoying the time and getting to know them and hearing about their lives and that they work together. And, and, and man, they're just going on and on. And we're having a great time, but they never, for some reason, asked me what I do, even though I'd ask them what they do. So now what happens, we're crossed nine and eating lunch, and now we're on 10 and 11. And uh, finally, one guy goes, Chuck, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And they were like, oh, they had been cussing. They had been talking about women. I mean, and I'm just like, I'm a pastor. And, and the one guy goes, I am so sorry. And I said, why? He goes, I, how I've been talking. If I knew you were a pastor, I wouldn't have done that. I am so, and I said, you know what? It's not like I like the words, but let me tell you some I've heard them before. It's no big deal. You know, he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, what well, I'm really good. I use the Lord's name in vain. And I looked at him and said, no, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. His two friends go, oh, he did. And I said, no, you really didn't. And they go, no, he really did. They're all teaming up on me. And I said, no, honestly, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. I said, God, and he used the word. And he said, see? And I go, well, there's a problem here then. You see, a dog is a dog, but a dog has a name. And a dog isn't the dog's name. God is God, but that's not his name. So you don't know his name. And he goes, what? I go, yeah, you know, God has a name, and you don't know what it is. And he goes, really? And he goes, what is it? I go, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> You'll misuse it. And they actually were like, well, tell us. And I said, but here's my point. Let me, and they listened. I said, my point is this. The whole idea of what Jesus did was about bringing us into a relationship with God. And if you're in a real relationship with him, you'd know his name. The fact you don't know, what's that tell you? And I want you to know he loves you more than you know. He'd love to have a very real relationship. Where he not only knows your name, you know his. Now, they didn't make a decision that day. We didn't hit hole number, you know, 11 in the lake and go in, you know, and, uh, yeah, you know. But, but they, they really talked with me a lot about it. And when it was over, they thanked me and went on. And, and I invited them to church and they haven't showed as far as I know. But you know what? I think God used me in that moment. And the goal was to help them go somewhere. And that day, I, I got to say, I was around two guys who were definitely surfing in this area that I, I think I might have got them at least here if not here. And walk away wondering. And you and I need to just let God take us in that direction. Now, as we get ready to stop today, let me ask you two things real quickly. One, are you as a follower of Christ committed to letting God have you love in this way? And, and I hope you'd say yes and you're going to pray, God, as we go out of this building. I just want to go love. But the other question's even bigger. Are you here today and you haven't crossed this line of faith yet? 
You, you haven't moved up to a place where you said yes to God and you wanted to start connecting with him in deep ways and you wanted to start living out the life that you were always meant to live. And, and, and here's my question. Where would you be on this list? Are you here today and someone kind of drug you and you say, man, I'm a four and after hearing this sermon and message and I don't want to be back here ever again. Or you say, you know what, I, I, I think I was there one time and, or maybe I never was. I, I kind of believe in God, but I'm, I'm not sure how to get there or I don't know if I want to. Where would you be? I want to ask you to do this. Would you look at this right now? And kind of pick where you're at. Some of you would say, I'm a two, I made the decision for Christ. Some, I'm a three, I'm connecting deeply. I talk to people around, I'm a four. But, but if you're here, I want to ask you today, would you like to say yes to God? Would you like to say yes to him? Would you just want to say yes to his invitation to new life and forgiveness of sin and the grace to be forgiven and touched and loved and the power to be who you were meant to be would you like to move and how do you do that well at this place you pray a prayer and you call on the name of the Lord and you say I want to do this now now there's some of you today who what happened is at one time you prayed that prayer but you haven't you haven't been at least right now living in an intimate relationship with God and I want to tell you something he couldn't love you more than he does and if you're here today and you used to know him, but now you know deep down it's not intimate, it's not close, what you need to do is renew that time with him. You need to come back and you need to pray the prayer again to recommit. And today, if you really want to say yes to him and you sense God touching you and calling you, then we're going to ask you also to, to pray a prayer. And what I'm about to do is lead in prayer and then I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, if you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, to pray this prayer with me. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I ask and I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move upon us and amongst us and in us and through us. And Father, let us be the church you want us to be. Let us love with amazing love and let us have wisdom in how we do it. Father, right now I want to pray. I want to ask, Lord, I, I plead with you to touch anybody here who needs to commit their life to you or recommit their life to you. I pray right now there's going to be some people who are going to whisper some words that become very, very meaningful and they're going to come to know you. And is he calling somebody today to say yes to him? Is he touching you sense inside at your moment? Or do you sense that you need to come back and live for him like you used to? Where are you at with God? And if you want to be with him, if you sense this is your moment, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right where you're sitting. Right now, if God's touching you, I haven't seen you yet, I'm going to give you a second more. Just lift your hand where I can see you. If this is your time, and you're going to say yes to him, and I haven't seen you. Right here, praise the Lord. That is awesome. Wow. All of you who God's touching, let's just pray this prayer together. Right now, just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. 
and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God for those of you that prayed that. Wow.